Welcome to the Gathering Room Podcast, the audio version of my weekly Gathering Room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. We just got back, my family just got back from going to New York City. We went to see Town, which for the first time ever on the night we saw it, featured a wonderful singer, songwriter named Ani DeFranco. If you haven't heard of her, you should. Ani DeFranco was playing one of the lead roles in Town, And Town was, you know, it won Best Musical. It's the story of Orpheus and Eurydice from mythology, but it's, you know, updated for our times and great music and the whole thing. So, you know, I love a Broadway musical and I love Ani DeFranco. And the other thing was that we'd been reading on Patreon how Ani DeFranco was having such a hard time getting into the role. So she's been this brilliant singer, super successful, started when she was like no years old, 10 or something. Seriously, she started professionally when she was about 16. Now she's 52. And for the first time ever, she was going to be in a Broadway show. And she went to New York with her daughter and they got in an apartment. She said, okay, I'm going to go and do my role as Persephone in Hadestown. And then we started reading online a series of sort of horrified, what have I done, uh, stories from Ani about how hard it is. Like she's a consummate performer and everything. But she'd never been in anything where you have to do this very specific dancing, very specific singing, and you have to be at exactly the right place on the stage when you say each syllable precisely in, in concert with everybody else. And you're not allowed to vary at all. And she was like, I thought I'd be able to bring some of myself to it and kind of rock out. She was like, no, they're very controlling. <laughs> and she was, she said she was, exhausted. She's too old to be starting this. She, her daughter was, you know, in a new place in a new school. It was freezing cold. They were living in New Orleans. So they came to New York in the middle of winter. And she said she'd just get up and put on a big down coat. And within a few days of starting to do all the dancing and choreography, she was like, her hip was hurting and I, her elbows were, everything was hurting. So Ani had been having a hell of a time. So we drove to see her. We, we thought the least we can do is show up. And if she falls down on stage, we can all cheer and, and distract everyone. And plus, you know, I love a good Broadway musical. Who doesn't? So we drove to New York and all of us had to go. That's okay. So Karen and Rowan and I, that's us, our weird, you know, deeply satisfying domestic relationship or arrangement. Then we had Adam who was coming along because we didn't want to leave him in Pennsylvania. And we, of course, we have to take Lila, uh, our three-year-old, who is quite a lot of trouble these days, I found. And then, of course, the dog had to come because we weren't going to leave Bilbo the dog home in Pennsylvania to lose all his fur from anxiety. Then we all go and we, so we arrive in New York City with all our stuff. We cram ourselves into a small apartment where we are a bit, in each other's everything. And like, we're trying to arrange, Adam, you're gonna sleep on the couch. And Lila has her little bed. She wants a big bed, no little bed. Bilbo doesn't know what's going on. He's shivering, he's shedding. He doesn't know what's happening. And I was thinking privately in my own little headball, I think I'm too old for this. I mean, really, we all have to come here. You know, we're not gonna 
sleep through the sirens and the crowding and it's going to be exhausting. And then, you know, what if Ani falls down and we all have to feel bad for her? And, ah, uh, really? Is it worth the trouble? And, you know, I think Ani DeFranco herself was you know, on Patreon going, I don't know if this is worth the trouble. So we get the babysitter, which is another, it's not easy to, to get a babysitter in Manhattan on a Friday. We get to the theater. That wasn't easy. It took forever for just the taxi to go through the streets. We finally get into our seats and I'm sitting there and the musicians come on stage. They're all on stage. And I'm watching the trombonist and he's doing these shoulder exercises that I once had to do in physical therapy. And I can tell he's got a problem. Well, not a problem, but he's his shoulder looks a bit sore. So I'm empathizing with that, thinking, man, it's a lot of trouble playing the trombone. <laughs> and then the whole cast came on stage and the entire audience was made up of psychotic Ani DeFranco fans. So everybody, there was an immediate standing ovation that only calmed down after about five minutes. And then there was another one. Somebody stood up again and everybody else stood up. So everybody's cheering their, we were cheering our throats out for at least 10 minutes before it even started. Then everybody sits down, gets settled. And the trombonist plays one note. And I looked over at him. And he was holding, I don't even know what they call the thing. I think it's called a baffler that they put in front of the horn to make the sound different. So with his left hand, he's holding that. With his right hand, he's working this heavy piece of metal equipment. And it starts making music that just blows me away. And I thought, I just in one second, I thought, who thought of that? Who decided they were going to form metal into this weird shape? Okay, a horn, that's one thing, but the slider and the mouthpiece. And then how hard did he have to work to be able to make these sounds? And he's playing this incredible melody and he's got both hands up. I know how much his shoulder is probably hurting. And this music is like, is completely transporting. So I burst into tears and just sat there absolutely enchanted by the entire thing. And it was, you know, somebody said they liked um, my reading of my book, Diana herself. That's related to the Greek myths too. So I'm watching this adaptation of a Greek myth and the, the lyrics are brilliant and the music is brilliant and the dancing is brilliant and the actors are brilliant. And Ani DeFranco comes out and she has it. I don't know if she missed a single thing because it looked to me like she nailed it, bullseye, center of the target. And all of us psychotic fans in the, in the audience were just like, go, you go. It was like watching your child <laughs> up there on stage. And I started to get inspired like, Hmm. I think I'm going to write my second novel. Like I, 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 this is actually, it's giving me a bunch of ideas for what I could do with my next novel. And, uh, wow. In the meantime, look, I took three photographs over here. I'm going to go back and paint more cityscapes. I did. They're horrible. It's great. I am going to like, I'm going to make things and I'm going to do things. My life was full of joy in that moment. And it was so, oh, whoa, whoa, worth the trouble. And the awe I felt at these people who are like, 
you know, they're supernaturally good singers, then they're supernaturally good dancers, then some of the dancing, singing chorus people, I won't give too much away, suddenly start grabbing instruments, they're playing the accordion, they're playing the violin while they're singing, while, the, while they're running around a moving stage, while they're dancing. And I just thought, that's why it's worth the trouble to be human. Look what we can do. We are the most annoying, destructive, vicious animals on this planet, but oh my God, when we finally get our act together, literally, and we bring everything we're gifted with, um, when we give voice and music and shape and expression to the best of us, guess what? Humans are worth the trouble and it's worth the trouble to be human. And as, you know, the show was amazing. It was perfect. Um, at the end, it wasn't like there was a gradual standing ovation. It was like someone had shot a starter's gun and everyone in the audience just shot to our feet. And and the, the feeling of being in joy with all these people who also had been following Ani's difficult Ta you know, her difficult uh, road to her first Broadway opening and all of us who had, you know, played her music about the difficulties she's gone through in her life before that, all of us who had, had I mean, there were people around us in the audience who'd come from other states, other countries even, to see this night. And everybody was had taken a great deal of trouble to get dressed for it and to get, you know, in their best selves. So I came out going... That is the vibe I want in my life. And it's the vibe that I've been blessed to have many times. But it's only what happens when we take trouble. If something's going to be worth the trouble, I mean really worth the trouble, it's going to be worth a bit of trouble. Trouble. <laughs> so um, yesterday, the day after we got back, I was talking to a friend on the phone, very, very accomplished actor, writer. No, he's not an actor. He's a very accomplished uh, verbal artist. I mean, a beautiful, beautiful writer. And he was just bummed out because he felt like he wasn't being intellectually challenged and he was kind of bored by his life. He wasn't sure if, if he wanted to make anything. Now, on another day, I might have gone, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But yesterday, after having gone and had this experience uh, um, watching Town. I was like intellectually bored. Oh my God, learn something, learn physics. It's amazing. Learn biology, go, I don't know, build a, a, a green wall to suck some of the carbon out of the atmosphere. Go run for office, write another book, inspire some people. Make sure you take a lot of trouble because the joy of the effort is, it's consummated in the finishing of a project, but that joy comes from the amount of trouble you've taken. Now, you cannot do that unless the passion's in you. So I know a lot of people, everything I've done with coaching my whole life is about helping people find the direction that, that, that they want to go, that their passion takes them. But in every case, I remember once I had a client who said, she had an affirmation, I know that if I achieve all I am meant to achieve, God will make it easy for me. <laughs> and I, just, I fell apart laughing. I was like, I think it's the opposite. I think we're here 
to find something that does stir our passions and is also a lot of damn trouble. Like having a relationship, but like raising a baby. Holy crap, you guys, babies are a lot of trouble. Did you know? And they just keep being troubling as they get older until they're as old as me and then they're more troubling than ever. That's where the sweet spot is, y'all. That's where, let's find a joyful thing, find our passion, and then let's just dive into the trouble. And anytime you need, you, you feel like it's too much trouble, go and find one of the beautiful things that other human beings have made. The, the astonishing art, the amazing music, the, the brilliant books. We are the species who create things. And we need to enjoy each other's creations because someone took the trouble. And then when we do fully take it in, how much trouble someone took to bring us to something exquisite, then we know that what we have a passion for is worth the trouble. Yeah. And we go back to parenting or writing or painting or doing our jobs, forestry, whatever it is, with a kind of fire in the belly that says it's worth the trouble. So I want to see what people's are asking. Let's see. I have to get my, my messages. Here we go. Yay. All right. So Dr. Donna says, how do you switch your mind to discover it's worth it? I tend to let exhaustion and fear silence the worth it. Well, if you're exhausted, you need to rest. The fact that something's worth it doesn't mean that you just go without cease. I mean, part of the theme of Hades Town is that I'm, this is not a spoiler because Hades means hell, right? So part of it is the the devil is is ruling over hell, and it's all about working and working and working and never stopping. And the dance is like that, and it's just about our mechanistic culture that makes things out of machinery really, and then tries to plug in people as machinery. That's not worth the trouble. There's being a machine is not going to stir your soul the way the creation of your heart's desire or your love relationship or whatever is going to stir you up. So, rest if you're exhausted. If you have fear, go get inspired. Find something someone has made that inspires you. Um, there's a wonderful woman named Maria Ressa. Oh gosh, I hope I got that right. She won the Nobel Prize for Peace. She's from the Philippines. And she was uh, reporting, she's an investigative journalist. She was reporting on corruption in the government of the Philippines and the Philippine government turned on her. And there was a point where she was getting like over a hundred death threats an hour. And she decided that she wasn't gonna let that stop her. And she turned her curiosity on the hate campaign that was being launched against her and she found that that lies spread six times faster than the truth on the internet and she further found that there is only one thing that spreads as fast as lies and that is inspiration now i'm sure she was afraid as she was undergoing these horrors but she also knew how to be inspired and she knew how to say what she had to say in a way that inspired others. Go find her story and read it if you're afraid and then just say, okay, if she had to feel the fear and do it anyway with that and nobody's got a gun pointed at me, I can, you know, write my novel. 
yeah, use Maria Ressa as a as inspiration. Use anyone who does great things in the face of great fear. Because you know what? Everybody who does great things is in the face of great fear. Read Ani DeFranco's Patreon postings while she was rehearsing for Town. She was clearly terrified and she made no bones about it. My God, you should see her dance. All right. So Amanda says, hi, Martha from Australia. Hello. Good night, mate. I felt that enormous uplift in a theater and it's gorgeous. Are there other places you find the same feeling? Oh, yes. I can just go to the internet and get inspired a thousand times a day. I mean, some of the people who are just making cute Instagrams of their pet duck are like blowing my mind. (laughs) Um, I love that people, you know, put on costumes and do funny parodies of things like... Or, or just write really clever memes that are beautiful or compelling. And I'm like, wow, this person would never be, you know, I, I wrote, I read this one sentence that they wrote that was so perfect or so funny. And this person I might never, ever meet, and they might never write a book that I will read. But oh my God, they're everywhere. Watch great movies. Um binge on a great TV series that's really high art. I think Breaking Bad is like Shakespeare level art. These are incredible creations that a lot of people went to a lot of trouble to create for no reason. Nobody's saying, okay, we need another movie about um, a guy going on drugs. No, you always start knowing that the world is too full of what you're doing. Now, I want to write that second novel now, and I know the world is too full of novels and too full of books, and I'm going to do it anyway, because <laughs> that's what lifts me, and, and books have always lifted me. So find the place, find the thing that lifts you the most, and it probably be, will be something creative, whether that's the arts or the sciences or political and social movements. It's going to be the creation of something, because creativity is our gift. And that's where we go to all our trouble. Yeah, get inspired. So Monica says, do you believe it's too late at 59? Yeah, I think Ani DeFranco is 52. I think 52 and a half is the cap. After that, nothing's worth it. (laughs) Now I'm 61. And the other day, Ro found a picture of a wonderful active woman who's 116. And it gave us all pause. We're like, what if we have to keep thinking of things to do until we're 116? I think I'd better learn Spanish after all. Um, I know a story of a woman who she's, she helped her mother go into an assisted living facility and then die. And she, uh, she thought, I, I'm not going to put anyone else to that trouble. So when she turned 65, she put herself into an assisted living facility and waited to die for 30 years. She was completely healthy for another 30 years. And after a while, she was like, "Eh, maybe I better start something again. (laughs) It's worth the trouble, even if you drop dead in the middle of it. Why not? Better to do it that way than just sitting around waiting. So no, it is not too late at 59. You're a child, Monica. Get going. Maggie is being says, I can't help but think of all the trouble Diana got into cruising around with Roy. This is all in my book, Diana herself. And look how that ended up. Loved that book. She said, my, it rocked my world. Here's the thing. That entire book, Diana herself, is a psychological portrait of me. 
you know, what else would I write about? No, I think it's a psychological portrait of us all. So it's about a woman who doesn't much respect herself and a man who thinks he's all that in a bag of cookies. And they're both me, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> the woman who thinks she's not worth anything. And that sort of macho, um, like, yes, I got three Harvard degrees, <clears throat> kind of a masculine energy and, and very into itself. You can all drink because I said I went to Harvard. No, no, sorry. Trigger alert. Drink water. But um, the point is that the whole book was about how do we wake up from the dream of being worthless or narcissistic? How do we find out who we really are? And that's exactly what I'm asking us all to do again. Let's go find out who we really are. Let's get rid of our low self-esteem. Let's get rid of our narcissism and let's find the space where we're here to love, serve, and create. And thank you so much for saying nice things about my book. The next one is coming now. Okay, Delia says, how can we know when we're doing something hard for passion and creativity versus when it's just a direct path to burnout? Uh, I've talked recently a few times about something that uh, a social worker named Deb Dana called glimmers. These things that spark joy in you the way um, a trigger sparks fear or depression or whatever. If you're doing something for passion and it's hard and it's awful and then... Like I, I did another watercolor of a city corner in New York today and it's, I've done like three and it's a total failure at this point. No, but not total because there's one corner where I got something to work and I got it to work twice, which means I can replicate it. And that corner of the painting is a glimmer. It's like, yeah, okay. I got one corner of a, a large painting right and that means if I keep doing this, I can get the whole thing right. And when I when it worked and I looked at it and I went, mm -hmm, that is a tiny, tiny example of the very same thing I felt when that trombonist started to play or when Ani came on and just rocked everyone's socks. Tiny, tiny, tiny. <gasps> Creativity is speaking through me and I can let myself do it. So those glimmers are the ways that you keep from burning out. Otherwise, it would be too hard. But that the burnout factor is to tell you what's not your passion. It'll just drop you right off. You will not keep going very long. But as a glimmer comes up, woo, one glimmer can give you hours and hours of dedication to creating your heart's desire. Okay, Flofia says, what about trouble without passion? I just quit a day job because it was too much trouble and suffering and I'm having difficulty sticking to my conviction or was it a good idea? I do not believe in trouble without passion. It makes me very sick in my body, in my heart. I cannot do it. I tip my hat to those of you who can do it. I'm simply unable to do it. I was telling Ro, it's not that I want, it's not that I decided not to do like a nine to five job, 40 hours a week because I decided to be a creative free spirit. I could not ever, even when I was young, have done 40 hours a week in a job I didn't love. I couldn't do four hours a week in a job I don't love. I'm just very flimsy when it comes to anything that's not my passion. I have to be fired up to get past the physical frailty of my body and um, the constant chaos of my ADHD mind. 
So yeah, I think you did a very, very good thing by quitting a job that was too much trouble and suffering. But if something's troublesome but glimmery, like raising your baby or your cat or your parakeet, keep it up. The glimmers get better. Okay. Marcia says, is it worth it when the trouble, the trouble lives you experiencing a panic attack and headache? Um, I think she, I think that's just a typo. I'm going to think you mean Marcia that is it worth it when taking the trouble makes you have panic attacks and headaches? To me it is. I mean, I had such bad anxiety that as a teenager, I, they asked me to, my English teacher made us all write a poem to enter in a contest and I had a panic attack that lasted five days, didn't sleep. They had to put me on Valium because of my absolute terror of trying to work with language, which I respect and revere and possibly doing a bad job. It was horrible and it was totally worth it. And it was only one week of Valium. And then I not only, um, was able to do it, but uh, actually started to love to do it. And that's part of the reason it was so scary for me was that I love it so much, the, the written word. Okay, couple more and then we'll do our meditation. Cheryl Jean says, I feel like the access to this creative beauty and joy should be available to more people. How can we help make that feeling accessible to everyone? Share online. Like send your friends the things that make you go, oh my God. And there are so many of them. Okay, so that's the first thing I thought of. The next thing is take people. I mean, I got into Ani DeFranco because Ro was into Ani DeFranco. And, uh, you know, kept playing me Ani's songs and quoting her incredible lyrics until I just capitulated. I'm like, okay, that woman is amazing. Just share, share, share. Your creativity is, is part of your impulse to share. But you can also share other people's creativity that gives you joy and delight. And it just, it it's so wonderful because the more we give it away, inspiration, the more there is to give. Yes, share. So Ames2E says, this is so inspiring. Yay! It's why the musical montage in movies is so misleading. But I don't recognize fear as fear. The voice in my head sounds like being practical. Ideas to be less practical. Yeah, get some crazy friends. <laughs> like this is why Ro and I do the Bewildered podcast, Bewildered. Because um, we want to hang with our creative friends. And that's another thing that we, we've taken a lot of trouble to get to it before we ever even put one out in the world. And now it's so fun. Like somebody recognized us from our podcast in that audience and it was like, we did something completely and totally impractical because it seemed like so much fun. And again, just watching what happens when people are willing to do something impractical helps us stop being so practical. So the culture is a mechanistic culture that will tell you to be reasonable and sensible. Go find some impractical friends, whether in real life or online or however you find it, and just hang with the impractical but inspired. <laughs> it, it, it's very contagious. All right, finally, Gail says, how do you stay focused on projects of passion for long periods of time? I get excited about something initially, but can't sustain the energy long-term. A couple of things. You can make contracts with your friends. Roe finished a gorgeous novel by making a contract with our friend Liz that she would write a certain number of words every week. And Liz weren't, wasn't reading the words, but Roe had promised, so she did it. 
Um, you can tell people, I ran the Boston Marathon when I was a freshman in college because in Chinese class, I was trying to tell people, tell the class that I like to jog. And the teacher decided that I meant I was going to run the Boston Marathon. And I didn't speak enough Chinese to say anything, but uh, sure, <laughs> actually, literally, sure, <laughs> means yes, that's what I'm going to do. So then I had like 10 people in my Chinese class who thought I was going to run the Boston Marathon. And that social pressure actually made me do it. So um, get other people, share inspiration, make promises. All right. It's the end of today's session and um, I can feel you all so strongly already. So I, before we even go into our meditation, um, I'm just, I just want to, um, to note that the hum of creativity is so intense right now. I mean, I was feeling it when I sat down here, but holy smokes, you out there are doing something or I'm out of my head, which is a distinct possibility. But let's, in this meditation, go into the creative power of silent stillness in space. That's where the music comes from. That's where the dancing comes from. As T.S. Eliot says, uh, so the, um, the silence shall be the music and the stillness, the dancing, uh, something like that. So let's do our meditation starting with asking if it's possible for us to imagine the space between our eyes, just your eyes. Let's start with something really close by. Can you imagine the distance between your eyes? Can you imagine the space inside the atoms that make up the tissue of your head? Imagine that space as you go down through your shoulders, your arms, your torso, your hips, legs, your calves, your feet, all made almost completely of empty space that is unboundaried, that we are sharing. We are sharing the space in which our bodies appear to exist right now. Can you imagine the space in which all of us are suspended. Can you imagine it brimming with creativity, brimming with music and color and vibrancy and completely empty at the same time? Can you hear the silence beneath all the sounds? Think of your favorite musical play that music in your head and then drop in and hear the silence that allows the sound to be. And then find the stillness under everything you do. Under your lungs breathing and your heart beating and everything you create, there is a stillness that holds you like the most passionate lover, like the tenderest parent. It loves us. It enjoys us. Can you imagine space, silence, and stillness filled with the potential for us to create whatever we can imagine? <sighs> Thank you for taking the trouble to show up at the gathering room today. And I'll see you later. And I want to hear what you're creating. 
It's so worth the trouble. I love you all. See you. Bye. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.